0: Welcome to the Autistic Advantage podcast where we discuss the remarkable abilities of brains built with these unique neurological traits. I'm your host Olivia Fox and in today's episode we're chatting with Hannah Breslin, Educational Developer for the University of the Arts London. We discuss autistic interpretation of social conventions, achieving a critical mass of autistic people in the workplace to bring about normalization, and the challenges of educating the neurotypical public about autism. Welcome, Hannah. Let's begin by talking about how you got to where you are today.
1: How did I get to where I am today? Yeah, along and kind of roundabout route as probably most people will uh, have experienced themselves. And I think I started off, I mean, I'll go back to the very beginning, but I was always nerdy. You know, I was always clever, except I wasn't, as in the way I was being measured in school context. Actually, if I look back now and if I, I've read my school reports as well, there was always a sense that I was slightly hiss, hitting them, not hitting the mark, you know, just completely missing it. And yet my sense of identity was entirely around being a nerdy, quiet, studious, academic person. Yeah and the thing was I was good at gaming things so a lot of learning by rote really last minute because I couldn't hold the information for very long. I knew um I, I'm from Ireland so the Irish education system you know it varies but you know you do I think it's seven subjects for your end of school you know you're the big exams and I chose the ones that I knew I could do well in. I didn't think about, you know, nesting my career. I was like, right, let's be strategic. So I've always been quite strategically minded about it. But it's sort of as the years went on, I realized, God, like I'm not actually like particularly clever. I'm good with words and society places such weight on words, don't we? And the ability to articulate oneself. So I think I was flying under the radar in loads of different ways. But the one thing I did do, again, thinking quite strategically, was I was clever enough to realise that um, creativity was probably where it was at for me. That actually that was something where I did have an ability. I don't really like the word talent, but I did have an ability that was slightly setting me apart from lots of other people, you know, in that same class and school. So I went and studied fine art for my undergraduate Um I'm really excelled. It was probably the first time I found my tribe a little bit and I found the people that I sort of connected with. And at this stage, I'm telling myself all my difference in the world is because I'm an artist. So artists are, you know, quote unquote weird. And so I'm really buying into that narrative. So I allow myself to be a little bit weirder when I'm in art school because I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, this is what it's all about. This is what I'm meant to do. I'm living the mythology of like being the artist and whatnot. When I graduated, I repeatedly avoided full-time work as best I could with the understanding the reason I was doing that was because I had my art practice which by the way made zero money and I was adamant I was completely purist. I was adamant it should make no money I wanted to do non-commercial I did video I did installation I did all these things you couldn't sell so I I wound myself up in knots basically so i had this practice that was kind of thriving but made no money so then i had to always have a job kept on getting offered full-time jobs no 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 because my practice my practice i did that for about 10 hang on, years. hang on
0: hang on you were yeah. being offered full-time jobs and turning them down this yeah. is not the normal autism narrative
1: yeah i i often stayed and i still do in the same organization for a long time because the change is like too much and you know, a certain amount of privilege, some innate, you know, although it's been rocked many times, some innate belief in my ability to add value in a space. You know, I'd often ask for a pay rise. It would kill me. I'd be, but I'd ask for a pay rise. And then I think people were so, that came out so out of left field that they'd be like, whoa, you know, she must know something. We don't give her the thing, you know. (laughs) So I kind of was using some of those things not intentionally, But to my advantage, sometimes obliviousness, like not being really thinking about hierarchy. I just like, well, I mean, you know, I'm doing sales work, but you're asking me to take photographs because you realise I'm good at photography. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's a separate skill set that not everybody has. Therefore, I want you to remunerate me at a better rate for the photography work. So it was just very practical to me. I was just like, this is just logical, right? Yeah. So... (laughs) I practiced uh, I have my own art practice for about 10 years but I did what I've since kind of heard people say don't do this I turned that was basically my special interest fine art and everything to do with art creation and I turned it into my job and in doing so I sucked all of the joy out of it so I became completely fixated on like what success looked like and goals I'm, I'm not so like I'll do a five-year plan but I'd always have some goal the next goal on the horizon and I had all this quote-unquote amazing success you know Ireland it's like big fish small pond but and I was getting to the point of being invited and people were seeking me out rather than me always having to apply for things and I just absolutely hated every single second of it I just I was just like, what is all of this? I'm I'm sacrificing hugely, you know, in terms of financial security to do this. But the problem was the art world is like full of inference and social climbing and like all these things that I just like can't do I remember going to see a studio that I wanted to rent so I was going to give this woman my hard-earned money and I turned up and she was clearly still drunk from the night before having been at like a private view or something and everyone thought I was being like completely over the top but I was like I am not giving this woman my money she is not taking this seriously this is a business transaction you know so very rigid in my ways of thinking about things At that stage, I knew I needed to get out of Ireland. Ireland is very um, claustrophobic to me. Irish culture is quite claustrophobic. So I knew I didn't want to just run away, though. I wanted to run to something. So although I was having these feelings about the art world, I decided to do a master's in performance at Goldsmiths, which is one of the big art schools here in London. So I, I... got out of Dodge and I left and I came to London and I did my MA in performance. And it was quite like a laboratory sort of course with dancers and designers and producers and artists and a whole range of people. Um, And again, I hit upon success. So our show, I worked collaboratively with these kind of five other international uh, performers. Our show got picked up. We're offered like a residency space. We're offered a run of shows, you know, space to develop the piece, da, da, da and god I just hated it even more so I kept on at this stage I was realizing do you know what I'm the one not fitting this whole system this is actually just the way the system works so I either get on board or I get out so I decided to get out and I had been working really randomly in the career service at the department that supports kind of professional development of students in Goldsmiths where I'd been studying and this random job came up again it was part-time so I was like okay I can do this um and I realized actually the practical nature of supporting others to achieve what they want to achieve suddenly was far more alluring than me you know being a star of the art world or something I just felt like I wanted to have use yeah and I want to be able to see that I want to be able to draw a line between that conversation I had with that student which led to that interview which led to that job for them and now they're staying in touch with me and they're telling me this thing and it's all wonderful and that then led on to so I decided to stay in higher education and that job actually became full-time so that was you know 10-12 years of dodging full-time work
0: so hang on when when did it become full-time how long ago
1: so this was about 10 years ago now
0: Okay, so you've had time to accustom yourself to the resignation that you are no longer primarily a starving artist, preferably misunderstood.
1: Yeah, I mean, but that was such a relief. You know, when I said to people I'm... There was no grieving of... There was like confusion. Have I wasted all that time? You know, or am I betraying who I am? Because remember, I thought I was different because I was an artist. Yeah. So now now I'm just different for no reason. Like now I'm just not fitting in (laughs) for no reason. You know what I mean? Why is everything still so hard? It's like, I thought that was to do with my weird creativity and the things I was spending my time doing. But now actually I was doing the Monday to Friday, nine to five rat race. And I was still just finding everything incredibly hard. So, you know, it was, that was a shock, but no, I felt really at peace. I mean, I had so many people caution me like, don't, don't give it up. You're going to have to come back and start from scratch. And it's so painful. And you're throwing everything away that you've built up and da, da, da. And I, again, just like quite, I don't think autistic people are unemotional, but I just, it was a very pragmatic decision. I was like, but it's not working for me. So there was a coldness in other people, probably holistic people's eyes. But I was like, no, 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 this is just a really pragmatic, pragmatic decision. And actually what I didn't need right then was financial security. So this structure of Monday to Friday, payday, salary, like all of that was actually really nourishing. But so it's possible
0: that if you hadn't left the art world, you had you'd never have gotten to your diagnosis because there would have been another explanation.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. I would have just been going, oh, but we're all weird artists, aren't we? You know, I still would credit a lot of my way of thinking down to being creative. I mean, that is that is a central part of my identity. But I think, yeah, it, it would have gone under the radar. There's a lot of mental health issues, I think, as well, in the artistic and creative community. I don't think that narrative has to exist. I don't think we have to suffer in order to create. I don't really buy into that. But I think, you know, it would have been very easy to just continue having those same conversations with the same group of people and not thinking it was maybe a little bit amiss, you know, maybe didn't have to be that way. Um, So, yeah, that led to, you know, a pandemic didn't help. Mm. Uh, Having a daughter who's four is joyous and incredibly challenging when you're an undiagnosed autistic, combined with a new role, which saw me leading a team of people which doubled in size within about six months to a year so it was like the perfect storm and I just felt like March 22 here here we go I'm spiraling again and you know I'd had all the usual diagnoses and I was like but this doesn't make sense yes I'm tired there's been a lot going on, but it doesn't make sense to feel like this why do I keep circling back around this if I'm honest autism came on my radar so I'm 40 now came on my radar in my mid-20s because I was just having lots of complex interactions with I'm using air quotes friends and I would literally so my my logical thing was I'll google that why would a friend dot 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 Mm -hmm. and I kept on finding myself on which I now think is wrong planet you know that uh, Mm -hmm. message board, not as a member I think but just reading stuff but I didn't know what message board I was on so I'd be like yes that's what they're saying here oh my god yes totally and then I'd realize who the message board was for and I'd be like oh my god no 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 that's not me not in a dismissive way but I felt like I was intruding on their private space so I'd like quickly close the tab and I did that probably now I now I could see it I didn't notice it at the time I did that probably three or four times over the course of like 7 8 years I found myself on I think it was every time wrong planet Identifying with all these experiences. So, you know, it became a bit of a joke. I had my partner and I together for 20 years. So it became a bit of a joke between the two of us, but just literally in that little bubble. And last March, I was like, that thing, that thing that's always been there or been there for a long time in the back of my head. What if I like look into that a bit more and research it? I mean, I love a bit of research. So. <laughs> you know it wasn't it wasn't light touch there was nothing surface about the research and really seeing all the more up-to-date stuff about women and how autism can manifest in women I mean that was just it so without I've I've a, a lifelong permission seeker and for the first time in my life I was like I'm gonna get a formal diagnosis I'm gonna go down that route but I already was in my it was just in my head and to a few friends but I was like I am autistic and these things that the internet is suggesting to me, I'm starting to put them in place, and they're already making a difference. So that even is, you know, proof of concept right there. So yeah, that it's like the perfect storm of all those things just led me to finally getting that diagnosis last November at the Grand Old age of 39. So yeah, wild ride.
0: It was a wild ride, but I'm already noticing throughout some of the common threads that it, that we know are um, typical, even from a very young age, for autistic people, being strategic is something that we have from the get-go, right? Um, good wor- with words. Have you heard about this more recent-ish study that uh, split au- the autistic brains into four subgroups?
1: Oh, no. This sounds good. It's really
0: interesting. I'll uh, I'll uh, try to remember to, to send you the, the thingy. My brain is like a sieve. Um, but essentially... There's four subgroups amongst the two that do not have developmental disabilities and therefore can, could theoretically function uh, masking. There's one group that is high verbal IQ, low social intelligence, and the other group which is normal verbal IQ, normal social intelligence. And I'm like, yeah, that's me right there.
1: I know. And like... Yeah. I mean, I'm just still baffled. Now it's brilliant though, because previously would have been stuff. I think my partners tried to coach me on a little bit because we didn't have this autism framework. So he just thought like, you know, you need to understand. So it's like trying to lead me to understanding something that I was just never, ever going to get. But now I can just openly be like, what does that person mean? Why would they say that? Why did they do that? If you were to do that, what would be your intention? So it's actually like quite wonderful. I'm not going to understand on an additional level but it's like now I have the the right language and the right questions you know what I mean to ask so it's like oh I can get this insight where it's when he was trying to lead me to those things I was really stubborn and I was like no I'm not gonna do like I'm not gonna answer like that no I'm not texting them you know and it was like Frustration, but now I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm autistic. I'm not going to answer in an holistic way, but I want to understand what someone's motivation might be. Like just before my assessment, we talked about how a conversation works, Uh and I mean, I talk a lot, so and I have a lot of conversations, so I would think I'm very fluent in terms of conversing with others. And he was like, "It's so bizarre how you expect the conversation would map out." And I was like, what? Because my, my argument was always, why don't people ask me questions in return? So like, I ask them lots of questions and I'm very interested and I'll go really deep and I'll pick up on something. And then I have something to say, but they don't ask me in return. And then I don't know what the appropriate moment is for me to insert my thing. So then it just becomes, I'm invisible and the whole conversation's serving them. And that is just exhausting for me, but wonderful for them. So I have all these clingers on who are like, I love Hannah. Hannah's great for chat. Hannah solves everything. Da, da, da. And I'm like, I'm not even there. Like I'm asking questions, but like, I'm literally not in the conversation. And he was just like, so you think it's like a volley, like back forth, back forth, back forth. And I'm like, yes, because that would make sense. Right. You've spoken. Now I speak. You've spoken. Now I speak. And he was like, No, people are like in their own head, just thinking of themselves, so they forget. And if you want to bring it up, you just have to bring it up. And I'm like, this is news, like to me. So there's that, but there's also the fact that we
0: assume that a conversation is about exchanging information. Yeah, because that, and it's not necessarily for holistic people. It's often a means of creating an emotional connection, which to me is just well if you want to create an emotional connection why don't you bloody well say so instead of yes, pretending exactly that it's, it's about something else
1: yeah totally. totally. Uh, and also that thing where the reciprocal thing to me it works like you tell me your story and then I tell me mm-hmm. your story with some similarity, so I'm empathizing with you and identifying mm-hmm. with you and yep. I'm only now hearing that lots of holistic people find that the that the idea of doing that is trying to pull the attention away from them and I'm like, what? that's not what we're doing. No, I'm, try- it's, it's, I'm I'm connecting. I'm like, yeah.
0: It's here's which parts of my pattern I can match to yours.
1: Yeah, it's exactly. A,
0: this this is I understand you because. Uh, yeah, and uh, before I forget, two other things that I picked up on were one is not thinking about the hierarchy, and I often say that autistics can think about it can think outside the box because they can't even see the box. Um, But in the same way, we're really bad at office politics because we don't see the hierarchy. Um, But sometimes we will um, unwittingly bypass office politics because we're not aware of hierarchy.
1: Totally, totally agree with that. There's also also something culturally located because Irish people are not big on hierarchy. We're quite like finger up to the hierarchy. Given like our colonial past and stuff, so you know, I didn't. I mean, I did step on toes definitely, and I can see now moments, particularly in the art world. Actually, I can see moments where I was being taken down a peg or two. How dare you, you know, question my da da da, and that was always really upsetting to me because it was obviously never my intention to call into question somebody else's ability or experience or anything. But the UK, so England, I can only really talk about England because I'm based in England. And um, oh, heavy, heavy, heavy on the hierarchy, you know, but I, I knew very early on. I mean, even if I'd been in Ireland, I wouldn't survive in a corporate environment where that is rigid and fixed. Higher education. It's not quite a meritocracy. You know, I'd love to say it is. But the institution I work for, because it's an arts institution. We like to disrupt. So even when disruption happens from within, you might get, you know, shoved back into line slightly or you get, you know, a few raised eyebrows and stuff. But I don't think we're as intensely obsessed, I'm going to say, with hierarchy. So I can sort of use that. And and what I find is everybody's just human to me. So I really don't care if you're like the most senior person in the organisation or the least senior person. I'm just meeting you as a human, not your job title. So that's been a real advantage because I probably don't play the game. It's maybe refreshing. I don't play the game to the higher ups. And then to people who feel a bit lower down, I don't like it, you know, those levels, those sense of levels, but feel a bit lower down. In a moment, they're just as important to me as the most senior person, because if they're the person I'm talking to. So I think there's some really I've I've sort of I realized that a few years ago and started playing with it so being a bit more playful with it and being a bit more irreverent and assigning it to me being Irish so being a bit you know uh, chatty and friendly and da, 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 so I could kind of get away with it so maybe somebody else you know who's very British couldn't get away with the same thing but I've kind of been playing with that a little bit yeah it's quite fun um
0: Yeah, the personal brand can be key in terms of how far you can go. Um, You were mentioning that you essentially experience early success, fixation on success, and then early success, and then burnout. Um, I know that a lot of us go through these cycles. Um, When we talk about the autistic advantage, this is the flip side of the coin, but I'm pretty sure that there would be ways to manage eventually to avoid, of course, but for the moment to manage the burnout cycles in the corporate slash business world.
1: Yeah, totally. But I think it would all go back to, for me anyway, it would go back to what is success, whose version of success. Because I think I was constantly striving for the external understanding of what success looked like. So actually, it was never a good fit for me. It was never going to feel good for me when I got there. But it was like, when I was an artist, you know, get this show, get into that gallery, da, da, da. So it was all about the, the optics of it rather than what felt innately right to me. So now I feel if I'm aiming towards success and it's truer to who I am and what I'm about, that automatically makes it a healthier way of being and a healthier choice. Now, what I will say is my drive can be quite intense and my hyper focus. But now it's like with this frame, it's like, okay, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I don't even have to prove myself to myself. So if I've got some really nice goals that are really fulfilling and nourishing for me, not, you know, based on just those optics, and I really want to achieve them, then I know I have to scaffold in loads of tools and support to get Mm -hmm. me there. And that sometimes means stopping, stepping back, taking a break when you don't want to take a break, you know, working quite a regimented way because I struggle with things like interoception, you know, those bodily cues. So I remember to go to the toilet. So I remember to eat food so I don't get like low blood sugar and then get really shaky and cranky and wonder why everything feels so awful and wrong. And then it's like, oh yeah, I just forgot to eat like a couple of hours ago, (laughs) you know, and it doesn't spiral out of control. So you know, I'm at such early days post-diagnosis, but I still can already see, and I guess I'm a glass half full kind of person anyway, but I can already see burnouts. I'm still, I would still say I'm in burnout, but maybe coming out of it now, sort of a year on. And I've definitely had two other burnout, which I now understand as burnout. And I'm not saying it will never happen again, because I think that would be unrealistic. But the toolbox I have now to address it If I can see it occurring, but also the ongoing maintenance, for want of a better word, to sort of, you know, keep myself nourished, keep myself in a safe space and working within a comfort zone. And I say all of this understanding a huge degree of privilege here, like actually me working full time, you know, being there eight years, being well liked well respected by my colleagues and my peers now gives me leeway so i've won them over now if i was just joining an organization i haven't to pace myself the way i'm having to pace myself at the moment that may not be looked upon as kindly but i people know my worth that i have a track record you know it's proven so a, a weird maybe advantage of masking so insanely successfully successfully for so long is I've sort of laid that groundwork now to now reimagine things in a slightly different way if I was starting out my career I don't think I'd be splashing it all over LinkedIn you know I don't think I'd be being as open I'd be incredibly nervous as it was I was incredibly nervous but it was very quickly became apparent that no this was the right thing for me and there was a lot of grace around me as well to enable me to do it so yeah it's not that burnout will never happen again but I think god just knowing what it's called (laughs) and and you know it, it with burnout like you know occupational burnout step away from work if you can reduce your responsibilities but go out into the world and do those things that nourish you autistic burnout step away from your responsibilities do not go out into the world (laughs) like do not force yourself to engage with people because that's an holistic idea that you're going to get so much energy and nourishment back from that so you know I haven't socialized uh nigh on I don't know four months now maybe I just don't do anything social beyond kind of the stuff linked to parenting Um, and I've sort of said to people oh don't don't feel sorry it's it's brilliant it's really really healthy for me right now like it's really healthy (laughs) so yeah what was my point around that yeah I probably can't avoid burnout but now it's got a framework like it's got a name I've got stuff that you know I already can see works for me and I stop the huge thing for me and knowing that I'm autistic is off the peg templated stuff that's not made for autistic people. So this program, this you know, checklist, that is made predominantly by holistic people for holistic people. So actually it's really important for me to go, that's a brilliant list, because that's not going to work for me. I need to create my own list, you know, it's going to look a bit different from that. There's some stuff I can borrow, but yeah, this isn't about me slotting into now, you know, the mold that exists for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking about the responsibility that we have once we reach a certain level of um, comfort, financial success, professional success, everything equi- equating in total to, yes, privilege and certainly security. That, in a sense, I see it as at least my responsibility to embrace the autism identity. Um, because if we're not going to destigmatize who is, and that. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And for me, there are no con- no negative consequences, aside from missing out on a couple of events, of unmasking. Um, yeah. And if I do that enough, and if it- enough of us do that enough, hopefully it'll make it easier for people who are less secure to be able to do that.
1: It's like we need a critical mass of just visible, you know, successful. And I use air quotes quotes again, Mm -hmm, because what mm -hmm. does success mean? So it should be down to the individual. But it's like we need a critical mass of visible autistic people who, you know, right now I mention it when it's relevant. But that that should be the way it should be for everybody. Do you know what I mean? That they don't feel compelled to come out, you know, that they don't either feel compelled to bang on about it all the time when maybe that's not comfortable for them but also you know feel that they can comfortably in a moment just mention oh yeah because I'm autistic actually what I want to do is or I needed it and it just becomes like so so normal just such a normal part of the conversation but I've gone like professionally quite proactively you know I want to be visible I think this is really important I'm doing a good bit of work at the moment internally within my institution where I'm basically just going around and doing a session for people on like actually what does my autism look like and what Mm -hmm. does the expression of that look like in work because I've done loads of neurodiversity training over the years and it's great but it always gets stuck at the concept level like autistic people may struggle with social communication. What does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like in practice? And of course, I always say it's my autism insight. So me, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but it's like, you know, I've got an example that I use in the session where I'm like, um, so here's some things I've been accused of being over the years, you know, flaky, uh, because I cancel things at the last minute because I'm completely overwhelmed. And um, difficult rude like all these things and I'm like so I might be perceived as being difficult um because you've worked on an idea for really really long and I've read through the document or whatever and I'm like oh I've got a great idea to make it even better I'm like we could do this and I'm so excited and so enthusiastic about it and I don't see that that person is like how hey, dare you that was my idea and I've been working on that for months and you waltz in here and you just basically crap all over it And whereas I'm like isn't this so helpful that I've got a different perspective on it? like isn't this so amazing and then we can like tackle it together and I'm so happy to work with you on this you know what I mean and I've just like gone down the road and they're standing stock still going that is so rude you know so I'm trying to help people understand so I am doing a lot of stuff just within my own organization trying to get people Because a year ago, what I needed was another manager, another leader in the organization who I knew was autistic, who I could just go to and be like, oh, my God, what is this? I thought I was going to have to leave my job. I thought, I can't, you can't be a manager of, you know, a team and lead people if you're autistic. Like, I can't see that anywhere. So I had a real panic. Like, I was like, I'm just going to have to quit. Like, it's obviously not possible because I can't see that out there. So representation can be hollow, but it's also incredibly important in certain moments. So I do feel a great responsibility. And, you know, I'm a white middle class woman. So I have greater responsibility, I feel, you know what I mean, to actually really own this and pave the way. And actually, it's been really interesting because a couple of people that I work with have come to me since I've sort of been doing all of this um, education stuff around it and said, oh, I, I think I might be autistic as well. And what do I do? And like, how do I start this process? And like, what is it? What does it mean? And da, da. And then a couple of my team uh, who are ADHDers and they're like, this is so good because like, I never would have been open about this if you hadn't been open and da, 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 So, you know, there's it's already just the ripples out from me being quite open about it. It's a small group of people, but I'm like, but that, you want that to replicate out then, don't you? When my team become managers and leaders that they take the same approach as well. So Yeah, it feels really, really important.
0: Yeah, eventually, ideally, you want people to say, whenever you mention your artistic, oh yeah, I've I've worked with autistic people before. And I was just thinking that it's, it's also, the other reason why I might see it as helpful for us to go more public is that it then allows us to correct misconceptions and in a sense invite questions because i'm always happy to answer anything i might know about autism which is of course a very small amount compared to a very very huge field
1: completely and i'm exactly the same i'm like please ask me questions but i'm fascinated by how few people ask questions to be honest i opened it up like to so many people when i sort of shared and just very few people have come back with questions now granted You know, even holistics have different processing speeds and different ways, you know, levels of comfort and stuff. But I think, you know, there is a thing of if if change is going to happen, people need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So and asking the wrong question the wrong way. And, you know, I would just gently, you know, Adjust that course of questioning, be like, well, actually, the way we would talk about it is, or the way we think about it and stuff. So, yeah, you know, that's somewhat a little disheartening. It's normally the other neurodivergent folk who are like, "Oh, okay, I don't really know much about it. Tell me, you know, and I want to know." Da, da, da. But it's, yeah, I'm not finding that there's a huge influx of questions from people. Maybe I'm just doing a brilliant job of explaining it, but I feel like, come on, guys, surely. But again. I like the detail. So if somebody gave me that presentation, mm-hmm. I'd be like, ooh, okay, so and, how, and what about, you know, and again, I wouldn't necessarily have the fear so much of getting it wrong. I've got it wrong so many zillion times in my life. <laughs> I'm used to getting things wrong. So yeah, that is interesting to me that there maybe isn't that level of comfort with just asking questions, even when somebody offers, we'll get it there.
0: feels a bit the same as with the other spectra, whether it's sexuality, gender, You name it. Uh, Yeah. All right. So let's try to um, recap what we've been on autistic advantages so far. Not in any particular order, but uh, being strategic, being good with words, not thinking about or focusing on hierarchy, (laughs) Uh, the fixating on success, which can be good and bad, and the... So many times, uh, the experience that clearly you've had, I've had, where we see a solution, and everyone is like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" And I'm like, it's just makes sense." I don't know why there's <laughs> It's listen,
1: people, it's bloody obvious. Why is everyone in awe? It is like that. Is quite amazing to me. Like when I started teaching, I didn't actually have any teaching qualifications, but it was just so obvious to me. Like you want people to learn this you know people learn through a variety of ways how do you embed those different ways within you know a two-hour workshop or something how do you reverse engineer like work backwards from the end point uh, what experiences might provoke certain types of thinking how do you build in reflection like all these things were just like you know so so obvious I've obviously since gone on and got a teaching qualification but you know it's just stuff like that that I'm like oh is this not is this not just obvious no oh right okay and and then you start going oh I should value this because apparently this you know isn't something that everybody can just do so yeah totally get that but you do have to again that confidence has evolved over time where I haven't been shot down by the first weird look you know what I mean like huh I, now I'm like, yeah, no, it's actually really important because, and it's like, and if you do it this way, da da da, da and I can talk about it and explain it. But you know, in the beginning, I you know, earlier in my life it would have been like the weird look would have been, like, oh, sorry, no, sorry, it was just a silly idea. You know what I mean? So again, that evolves with age and with experience. So I'm really grateful again. That I'm at this point and that I've got to this point, um, where I can really go now, take it to another level again. We're like, oh well, my autistic brain tells me, like, and I say that I do a lot of like development stuff with my own team, so teaching staff who then go on and teach students and graduates, and uh, they're always like, we do specific days, like all together, really intensive. This is just so amazing, and I did say to them recently. Is it really weird, though, that I get you to do all this stuff and I bring us all together and all this stuff happens? We have all these like really deep conversations contextualised by work, but actually like quite, you know, broad. And they were like, I think they felt like almost not work, but they were sort of like, yes, no, no, but yes. It's like, yes, it's probably... You know because i'm autistic and this just feels really natural and logical to me but another way they were like but it's wonderful it's not you know a negative that you know you've shaped this space in that way so that's something i'm really proud of i think that's really important
0: so when given the tools and the space and when we can create our own teams and run them our own way sometimes marvelous things can happen awesome
1: Exactly that, like I probably, most people don't enjoy being micromanaged, do they? And autonomy is hugely important to me because if I always have to win over the person above me who doesn't speak the same language as me, as it were, I'm probably never going to get to do what what I know feels right and what I know will work. So, you know, it's just not going to happen, is it? So, yeah, that autonomy is hugely important.
0: Yeah, if you have to waste time figuring out the office politics and the manners, then you won't give the best solution. It's... uh, I I wish there were more of an effort to make entrepreneurship possible for more autistic kids, because that seems like a no brainer since we can probably find solutions that aren't already on the market. All right, well, thank you so much for this. Um, Is there anything that you think we should have covered that we didn't?
1: No, just to say thanks for having me. It was really lovely to just like talk about one of my favorite things in the world.
0: All right. Uh, Well, I don't see any big questions that I missed. Um, Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It was lovely talking to you.
1: Yeah, I do.
0: Hannah, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your experience. You can learn more about Hannah Breslin by following her on LinkedIn. Remember to follow the Autistic Advantage podcast on Instagram and LinkedIn for future episodes. That's it from the Autistic Advantage podcast. Our team includes Production Director Harvey Range, Community Director Ben Van Hook, Creative Director Callie Williams, and I'm your host, Olivia Fox. See you next time.